The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Through a mix of solo and interview episodes, I want to showcase all the different ways the spirit world helps guide our daily lives, whether it's through intuition, signs, mediumship, channeling, the mystical, or the paranormal, our altruistic spirit guides and other members of our loving soul team are always there, ready, able, and willing to guide us. My guest today is Paul Honeycutt. Paul is a multi-passionate queer creator and master facilitator who describes himself as a self-discovery enthusiast. He is keenly focused on transforming the corporate environment with a unique intuitive leadership development that taps into the brilliance of each human being. Hello, Paul. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I found you on social media and I was like, I need to talk to this guy because Paul, I feel like you're somebody who is out there speaking your truth and living your truth and looking to help others do the same. And so I feel that your story just really resonates with the type of listeners that I have and with myself on the show. So again, thank you so much for being here and being prepared to share all that with us. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get really into the meat and potatoes of everything today, would you mind sharing with us a bit more about who Paul is from you? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Well, I don't know. I think nowadays when I look at like identity, this is what I'm going through. It's like an identity crisis. <laughs> who am I? We hit these stages of life. And so many different things have changed. And I look back over my life and it's like, well, I was raised a Jehovah's Witness and then I was kicked out of that or and I left. And then it's like, I'm a queer man. So I've got that. And then this professional that was building a career in banking. But what I would really say now who I am is somebody that is extremely thrilled with this human experience, being able to look at life and say, okay, I thought I had to live life like all of these different ways based on what different people said. But for me now, it's like, what do I want to experience in my life? So I'm somebody who loves nature. I love to cook and I love hosting and feeding people. That's just an incredible creative outlet for me. There's a lot of other things that I'm passionate about, connecting with other people, kayaking, river rafting. Those are big things right now that are going on for me. So I don't know. In general, I'd say there are a lot of experiences that I've gone through and ways that I used to really say who I was. And now I feel like I'm standing at this stage in life where I'm just like, okay, 
what are the things that I want to try? If I don't like them, fine. But let's just open life wide open. Let's just go for it. There you go. So what was the catalyst for that shift in your brain? Well, I've always been really curious just in general and inquisitive about things. But I think what it really comes down to is I had these major shifts where I came into a place in life where I accepted myself. This transformation took place. We were in the middle of COVID. I had been going through a lot of change and especially a lot of personal and spiritual development before. But I put all my stuff in storage, packed up my car, and I hit the road for 40 days of just solo camping. I had this moment on a hike, and I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe your listeners, but I was walking along and I'm like, what actually do I want out of life? What's next? I don't have to move back to Denver if I don't want. I don't have a partner anymore. My business, this has all changed. COVID stuff's going on. What actually do I want out of life? All of a sudden, there was this like crystal moment of I could really choose to do whatever I want. I don't need to worry what my mom or my parents used to think I needed to do, what society says I need to do, anybody else. I'm out here on my own. What do I want? In some ways I had asked that, but I had never really thought truly like, I actually have options and I can shed all of these identities or these beliefs that I thought made up who I was and I can just go figure it out and go see what happens. Oh, yeah. Where do you think that aha moment came from? Um, I think now, from a spiritual standpoint, I really believe that I have a higher self that's guiding. I, I kind of think it was like a bitch slap from the universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's about time yeah. to ask that stuff. I think, Laura, it had been building, but there was just this overwhelming, I could not ignore anymore that there really... The path I thought I was on wasn't really a path. I mean, it was, but it wasn't my choice in ways. I think that that's where it came from. I think intuitively I knew mm-hmm. in my imagination because I started imagining like, what am I going to do? Where do I want to go? What do I want next? Who really am I as I dig in more? That's my belief. So there you are. You're standing at this precipice maybe even a fork in the road. Maybe there's multiple forks in the road (laughs) and you make a decision. What was that decision that you made in which direction to go from there? Really what it came down to is I did come back to Denver, but I think the shift that wasn't as tangible as like I started this business or I took these things. I think the intangible path that started to open up for me and decision that I made was that I was wanting to be as open as I could to what was starting to come into my life and to not overthink things. And that was one of my big things on that trip. Because what I learned, Laura, along the way was trust the process. But I had all these little steps, these little things that were happening where it was reminding me that it always works out. Don't overthink. I was having a hard time finding camping spots and a a couple of times got in my head and then it was just like, calm down. It's going to work out. Listen, just listen to your intuition. And it did every time. I think that that was really the decision was I'm going to listen to myself from here on out. And ever since I've really been tuning in and life has really shifted. What does that look like for you when you tune in and listen to your intuition? 
there was always this chatter in my head. And I didn't even think I realized how much was going on in there all the time. This little voice of don't do this or do that, measuring up and measuring where I am against everybody else or what are they thinking or which ultimately I knew that they were not. Yeah. And so... As I started really focusing in, I had always been meditating, but there was this new connection to it. And I started to realize like, oh no, I have listened to my gut and my intuition. All of these other times in my life when things, I have done it. I just started listening to other people and I still listen to myself, but I had lost this sense of trust for some reason. So for me, what it sounds like now is oftentimes just quieting my mind and I'll just feel into what feels right. And for me, I always feel it in my solar plexus or in my gut. It's just like, that feels right. I think it took trusting like, okay, this feels a little crazy, but this is what I'm going to do because it feels right. And then would work out. Yeah. And then as I continued to do that more, I started to trust more of like, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. Or yeah, this makes sense. Or I don't know why I really want to go over there, but I really want to go over there. <laughs> so I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. That's always the and fun let's part. Let's see what's over there. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun part. Like, okay, I know I'm supposed to go over there. But I don't know why. We'll see what happens. And it's usually something pretty great, especially if it's intuitively guided. Yeah. So yes, I love that. So at what point did you take this to summarize it, the inner work that you were doing and what to start to now help others on their journeys? Well, I had been in the corporate world always in a place of leadership and mentoring other people, and I just loved it. I just really understand humans, and I have always been really observant for a long time. Some of that was just to be like, am I safe and okay in the room? Sure. How am I going to be responded to? But I think the other piece was I just knew intuitively and innately from my own experience of feeling so not belonging here on planet Earth, you know? <laughs> The way I look at life is I think we have a life print where we can look at good things and bad things that happen, however you want to label it, but just large experiences that we remember and or things that we've always been drawn to. So for me, I was always on stage. I learned very early on how to be a public speaker, and I've done a lot of it. I learned how to be outside the box because... I had to be outside the box and I was. I loved entertaining people. That was a big thing. And I always, for some reason, had this real innate, like people be talking and I just felt like I could see through this veil of now this is what's really going on with you. Or here's the puzzle. Here's what you want. And I could ask questions or get them there. So I've always been able to put puzzles together. But I didn't see with such clarity what all of those experiences were building within me until later. So after that, what I looked at was, okay, I think having been in corporate America and having seen and experienced so many inauthentic leaders doing their best, trying to reach whatever it was, no judgment, maybe a few judgment, let's be honest, but, but overall, no, still, no, human. still human, still human. But what I realized was I had a lot of success and it came from me listening to myself and just treating other people like humans and direct too. 
I had big teams. And one of the things I told them was like, just don't lie to me. If you got drunk and you're not coming in the next day, just tell me I can't be in. I don't need the excuses of being sick and all that because I know. Just be upfront. I'll respect that. If something's not going well, let's talk about it. It's not that big of a deal. You're going to make it a bigger deal if you try to cover it up. There you go. And what I saw was that there was a lot of performing. And I had performed for so long in my life that I was tired of performing to what other people wanted out of me because of some silly rules whatever that be, if it was the Bible or if it was a religious thought or if it was a cultural beliefs. Acceptance or something. Yeah. Acceptance. Right. Whatever it was. Like at the bank, they wanted us to wear blue ties because our color was blue. And if you wore anything else. So, of course, I'm rebellious. I wore anything but blue. (laughs) And I grew a beard and that was like, how could you do that? I'm like, oh, I know. (laughs) Nobody's going to want to bank with somebody with a beard. (laughs) So it's just silly stuff like that. Yeah. That is what started to lead me into the work that I do now where a lot of leaders, if they don't really know themselves and don't have a real in-depth growth mindset, I think that that is why we have so many people in corporate America burning out and so many employees that feel detached or unhappy. So if we can help leaders understand wherever they are in their journey of leadership and in their human life experience, they have unique talents and they have an intuition that's been guiding them. Oftentimes they don't listen to it or we override it with logic. So as I was muddling through, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to do one-on-one coaching? And I'm like, I want to transform corporate America because it's needed. If we could change that and start to create places of well-being and happiness and places where people are honored and we do have the balance of profit and people, because having money in profitable companies is not a bad thing, what could happen? And so I just started to see the path and the clues that like, yeah, it's with business owners, it's with professionals, it's with leaders. That's where you have the most fun. That's where the joy is. And so I just started to feel my way. I love that. So for someone who works in corporate, myself, I understand the importance of having leadership Mm -hmm. and management that is able to see me on a more human level. And I know that intuition comes from the other side, which is all loving. And so if they're following their intuition, I know that their choices are coming from a place of love and not like love, like, oh, everything's emotionally guided, but just where they have humanity in mind and their employees' well-being in mind. Because I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but I've heard or read somewhere that most people will quit their jobs because of leadership and management. Mm -hmm. That's usually the reason why, right? So if you can change from the top down, then that's really where I think the change in the culture in a corporate organization can change. It's no different from like parents and children and not to diminish employees. I'm an employee too. Not to diminish them to thinking like child simple, but like in a relationship where kind of are affected by the emotions and the choices made by the higher ups Mm -hmm. does trickle down. So I love the idea of creating a more intuitive and dare I say even spiritual path for these leaders. 
it doesn't have to be religious in any way, just more compassionate Mm -hmm. as people. So thank you for the work that you do from an employee standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you look at systems and stuff is that the majority of leadership development, or it's just like you mentioned, parents and children, we have generational passed down belief systems that could impact us. Well, we have the same thing in corporate America. We're coming still out of an industrial revolution management style and very top down. And you're right employees often leave because of leaders. But when you also talk to those leaders and they're like, oh, it's a terrible leader. But a lot of those leaders are also not supported with ongoing development. I remember at the bank, they used to I don't know if you've ever had this, but they'll be like, you know, we have this corporate executive, we get together and they bring in a motivational speaker and then they're like, give you this book and this is going to change your life. And then, you know, that's like, oh, go forth and eat it on your own and try to disseminate that while you have everything else going on and you're pumped up for a moment. So I think that if we could shift even just humans or like this is for me and I'd be interested in what your thought is on it. But when I realize, oh, I'm always going to be growing and it's either just going to be way easier if I get on board with it or if I resist it because nothing is going to stay the same. Everything is temporary. I know that people come and flow. The situations were constantly changing. And if I'm gripping on and I'm like, oh, stay the same, which I (laughs) did for a while, that becomes unbearable. So if we could help leaders and organizations understand, we need to give space too for these leaders to practice and to have this continual understanding and nurture a mindset of growth that then fosters these organizations where their people then start to be like, I'm growing too. And we remove some of those, I don't know, fears. I think a lot of leaders fear what happens if I don't meet my targets or if I'm too nice, they're going to just run all over me. But studies on the whole other side of things are like when employees are happy and they feel whole, productivity goes up. Really? Like, oh my goodness, that's so shocking. But it's like we have this fascination with the kink, (laughs) the kink of like leadership where they're demanding. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Such a ego or control game. Mm -hmm. Lots of egos. So yeah, I think that's fantastic what you're trying to do and implement and infiltrate the (laughs) leadership and management level to make life so much more pleasant for so many people. Because think about it. We spend, for those who work full time, spend a lot of our waking hours at work. So gosh, why not make it as healthy of an environment as we're able to? It does start from the top, I think. Oh, it totally does. And then if you have these happy employees, I mean, there's research that has continually showed when they're happy and they have less stress, they have better health. It's better financially more abundance flows typically, their family life. It's a symbiotic system. It's like we think our mind and our body are disconnected. It's the same thing. No, everything is intertwined. We can't address physical health without the mental or emotional. Mm-hmm. The pendulum isn't over here and over here. There's a real balance and harmony in the system when we yeah. allow it. So what are some steps that you would give to leaders on how they can incorporate some of the things that you teach to make a better, healthier work environment. Mm -hmm. I like things in threes. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. C's came up for me. 
curiosity capable and connected. So what I encourage leaders to think about is just be more curious about themselves. A lot of leaders, I think, tend to look at their employees and like, how can I get more out of them? How can I help them? Start inside first. And if you've done any sort of personal development, great, but always be curious about yourself because your team is actually a mirror of what's going on in you. Sure. That's hard sometimes for leaders to hear. But if you can get curious and be like, what am I experiencing right now? What do I want to experience? What am I wanting to learn through leading this team about myself? As broad as that is, each individual, if they look at that, then they can start to niche down and be like, why do I love being in leadership? What is it that this leadership does for me? Why I am in this position What have I learned about myself? You can just start to do some of that self-discovery and look at like, well, I've always been a leader or I always tend to be the one in the room that does that. People listen to me and I think it's because I listen or I understand things. And then you can start to delve into the other pieces. Capable is one of my favorite words within what I talk about because have you ever had a leader where they kept talking to you or maybe they're coaching or they're asking you to do something that you knew you could do? You're like, I can do this. Yeah. But they just kept on you about it or trying to. Yeah, I call that micromanaging. Right. Micromanaging. (laughs) And that's what most people do. Well, what if we took a mindset that everybody is capable Literally everybody is capable of achieving something. And I used to tell my teams like, nobody signs up in life to be a loser. Nobody does. Nobody wants to be the kid that doesn't get picked. (laughs) Nobody wants to be the loser or whatever you want to say. So when you hold yourself capable and people capable, I think that this opens up for more authentic conversation because what you find with a lot of leaders, this passive aggressive conversation that happens or they're not wanting to address head on issues that are taking place. So there's a lot of talk about toxic workplace. Well, a lot of toxic workplaces because things are not talked about openly because we're afraid to do that or we're not addressing it because it's like, I don't want to deal with that. Like if I just let this go. And so I think that's what happens is a lot of times we let it go just hoping it's going to go away. Sometimes that does. But if we look at our teams of being capable of receiving a message and capable of being able to show up for their job, that shift in energy really changes because there's a feeling Like for me, I was asked to move to Southern California to take over an area that was underperforming. And he was like, I trust you to get it done. This is yours. You get to do whatever. He's like, but it is yours. It's all going to be on you, but you can do that. And I was like, yes, yes, I can. However, think about if a different approach was like, hey, you're going to get this, you earned this, you've worked hard, or I'm going to give this to you, I'm going to grant this to you, you're going to have to work hard, you're going to have to prove yourself, and this area is messed up, and I don't know, you may have a lot of problems. If we approach it from that standpoint, well, then somebody's perspective or mine may have been more like, oh, man, what if I fail? But I went in with total confidence because he held me capable. He's like, I know you're able to do this. Just go do it. And I trust you. So I think holding that capableness builds that trust, which we want. We don't always have to agree. But if I also hold a person capable of being able to receive feedback, then they're most likely going to take it better. 
And I learned that I had to do a bunch of layoffs one time and it was so mad that I had to do it because I'm not even going to get into it, but I had to do these layoffs, right? And that was my job. And I had laid off and fired people over the course of time. But in this one, I approached it and I'm like, I'm just going to be really straightforward with them. And I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And any of that, because there's nothing I can do. I'm actually really kind of pissed that I'm having to do this. And so I just was very direct. And I was like, look, this is not good news for you. I understand that you were not expecting it. You know, it's just really direct. Here are the resources. I know you're going to do this. Here's what we can do. I took the emotion piece out of it. And all of them were just like, thank you so so much. Sure. And we had a real conversation after because I knew these people. These were people I had groomed. But when I had to do it with HR, I was just direct. And they were like, thank you for being so direct because they're capable. And I yeah. know that they're going to find a new spot. Why would I go off and be like, oh, this is so horrible? No, it's a door opening. I know you weren't expecting it. I wasn't, but let's move forward positively. Right. So capable is big. And then I think the third word why you see the connected a lot is because when a leader is connected to themselves and you said it best was it's kind of coming from this other energy. You feel it that maybe it's not exactly what you'd want, but because it's honest, it's authentic, it, it just resonates with you, you accept it. So when a leader's connected with themselves, people are going to feel it more. And then people are going to feel more connected to themselves and feel honored as a human being. And then they start to look at everybody else and say, well, I don't know their perspective, but I'm feeling honored and respected and connected and I want them to. So it's just that energy or the vibe just starts to feed through, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. That ripple effect for sure. I think again, starting from the top and working down. And I think that people are so intuitive already because we're all these spiritual beings having this physical experience that even if they don't quote unquote buy into the spiritual stuff, you can still sense when something feels good or when it doesn't. You can still sense if it's a toxic work environment or not. So you don't really have to subscribe to the whole spiritual stuff, mm -hmm. but at least make it a pleasant work environment starting from the individual. So I think that that's great. Before we switch gears... Was there anything else you wanted to talk about on this subject? No, I think you just said it best is whatever your beliefs, spiritual or not, everybody says like, oh, the vibe, I just wasn't feeling it. Something feels off. Yeah. We're saying it all the time. Yep. So I think you're right. I mean, I know you're right that no matter what we believe, we all innately are connected to that. We just may say it in different ways. So it's tuning into it. Yep. There you go. Exactly. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, so switching gears, because what caught my attention was you having grown up as a Jehovah's Witness. For the listener, can you explain what that religion is or looks like? Yeah, it was really born out of the late 1800s and very much in that time of fundamentalism that was starting to come in. First of all, they call it the truth. So I grew up that we had the truth, that they are the one true religion. They're the ones. They got the special. So they translated their own Bible and they believe very much in following the Bible to the T. Most people, I think, are aware of Jehovah's Witnesses either from them knocking on your door or the fact that maybe they don't celebrate holidays or birthdays and this happens workplace or at school. And those are definitely some of the biggest things. But I think the fundamental difference is that they do believe in a God named Jehovah, and that's why they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. They do not believe Jesus was God. They just believe he was the son of God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They do not believe in hell. They do believe in heaven, that there's a heaven that will be ruled by Jehovah. Jesus is a right hand and 144,000 selected people over time, special tickets. Wow. (laughs) The rest of humans have an opportunity. There's been basically, I guess in their mind, the way I would explain it is like any human that had ever lived on earth, there's the memory of them. Not really a soul. The soul leaves the body and departs. They don't believe in an afterlife, which is interesting because what they do believe in is that at Armageddon, which they think is happening now, or at least my whole lifetime, I was told it was going to happen before I graduated high school. Then it was going to happen at 9-11. And now again, they're very much like, this is the end of the days. This is Armageddon. But they believe in Armageddon coming. And at at Armageddon, that all humanity will be judged by God. And that if those people who have repented from their sins and those people who have had faith in God, that they then will move into a thousand year reign on earth and come back into total perfection. And anybody that had died in the past, if they were judged or deemed worthy, then they would be resurrected. And for a thousand years, Jehovah and Jesus in the 144,000 would reign. There would be one final test. And at that test, whoever didn't make it would perish forever. And the rest of humans would live on the earth forever. Perfectly. Wow. I don't know if I'd want to live on the earth forever. Not as the same being. (laughs) No. Same circumstances. Mm, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Same people. What are we going to talk about today? I don't know. I know it's been, been 10,000 years and I hear the same story. <laughs> wow, that's so, so interesting. Okay, so from a nursing yeah. perspective, because I'm a registered nurse, I know that with Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't take blood. So that's really interesting. Okay, so how was that transition for you to be brought up as a Jehovah's Witness to then not? It was a drastic change. So to paint a little picture of 
life as a Jehovah's Witness, my parents had chosen into it. So they didn't experience what we did growing up. I had to take a stance in school. My first day of school was a kid's birthday and the teacher took me outside and sat me outside the classroom because she was told she had to do that by my mother. So I sat out there while the kid's mom brought in cupcakes. They say happy birthday. They have all the fun. Any holiday you were not allowed to do. We didn't salute the flag. I had to learn to take a stance very early on, which made me feel very much on the outside. And you don't hang out with anybody that's not a Jehovah's Witness. So anybody that was non-believer, not that they were evil, but they would typically bad association unless you could convince them to convert. So really insular community, always kind of felt on the outside, but also raised in a community that was full of diversity because everybody that was a Jehovah's Witness, that was it. That was your identity. It didn't matter race, socioeconomic. So I grew up with a lot of different cultures around, and I knew a lot of people all over the country and even the world because it was more connected. So that was cool. But I had looked at most of life with a real fear that everything was going to end and that I was a sinner. And that really became apparent when I really started to discover that I was different. So I was trying to put words together and figure that out, like, who am I? And to know that I was gay I wasn't able to totally put all the really understanding of what it was, but I knew that I was different. When all my buddies were starting to be interested in girls and I'm like, I don't know, I think they're really cool. But the girls, like girls are fun. All of the girls I was friends with, but was not attracted. And that became more difficult because it became more obvious And that was not acceptable. And I had a couple of really rough situations that happened when I was a teenager around that. So that just tees up of having lived this life of fear about the world, fear about people who were not Jehovah's Witnesses, a goal of wanting to go to college, but that wasn't allowed. Really? Mm -mm. Wow. Well, no, you certainly do not want people to go get educated because then they're going to leave. Wow. Okay. So that's one of the reasons why I call it a cult, because when you look from a definition, they ostracize people if they leave and they keep you super busy and outside education, any of those things are pretty much frowned upon. So growing up, I had these dreams of wanting to travel the world. That was really what I wanted to do when I graduated high school. If I didn't go to college, which kind of knew that wasn't going to happen, I wanted to travel the world, but that wasn't acceptable because I would miss out on the meetings. So what life looked like for me and my family and a lot of families was... Monday night was a family Bible study. Tuesday night was a book study when people came to our home. We hosted it, and there was a small group of people that would do book study. Wednesday night, we had to prepare for our Thursday night meeting. Thursday night meeting was two hours of meetings. Friday night typically was get ready for Saturday to go knock on doors. So you would get prepared, and sometimes we could do fun stuff, but Nine times out of 10, we were doing something religious focused. And then you go knock on doors Saturday and then you go to meetings on Sunday. So it was just constant community, busy, busy, and no sense of self really allowed. So the contrast was quite hard when they figured out I was gay and I started moving away and I got outed. And so that really cut off the community right away. And by that point, 
I had started to understand because my career was taking off and I was working with people who were super fun. I was making friends that were non-Jehovah's Witnesses. I allowed myself to do that. And I was having a good time. And I'm like, these people aren't bad. They're super cool. And they're so nice. But when I got cut off from my family and all the community, it wasn't just cutting off from community and all that. It was cut off from like, what is my purpose now? And if the world is going to end... I'm probably going to just die forever because I won't be accepted and I'm not going to heaven and I'm not going to live on earth forever. And what do I do? I guess I just kind of work, but I didn't have a network of friends, really no family. And I just had to figure it out, but it was very different. In fact, my first birthday I celebrated of friends that I had made who became really dear friends. They all took me out. They all knew I had not celebrated a birthday. So they took me to this restaurant, but they did it like a one-year-old's birthday. So they bought all like, like it was my first birthday, which was just (laughs) fantastic. And everybody was laughing. And I mean, it was just a great time. So I was like experiencing all of these things. And I remember celebrating Christmas the first year, which I was super excited about and also very stressed out and overwhelmed, really overwhelmed by it. Because oh, yeah. I thought then I needed to buy gifts for everybody because oh. I'd never bought gifts really for people. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that friend of a friend, they were really nice. I met them once. I need to get them a gift. And I was spending, you know, just oh, so much like money. Oh, you're like a one-year-old on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Everybody needs a gift. And I don't really know them, but like I got my neighbors who I didn't even know. Oh, I thought sweet. that's what you did. You know, it was yeah. just, so it was like this really naive way of moving in of like, uh, I don't understand. And a lot of vestige of guilt, a lot of guilt and shame around it too, because even though I had left physically, I hadn't left emotionally or spiritually. Like I hadn't done that work to transform it. So it still impacted me a lot. Yeah. Oh, I get that. So I grew up in a Jewish and Christian household, but we only celebrated the Jewish holidays. And so it wasn't until I got together with my now husband that I started celebrating Christmas. And so now we've been together for like 15 years almost. And I'm like, now I'm a 15 year old at Christmas. (laughs) So I was all in at first. So I totally get it. But you're right. For me and my spiritual journey, I was lucky. My parents were very open-minded. I was allowed to explore, but I did go to church and synagogue growing up. And for me, when I started to go on more of a spiritual path, there was that part of me that was like, this is the right thing. I still love and I still believe in Jesus. And in fact, I have a better relationship with him now than when I was going to church because I feel more free with my relationship now. But at the same time, I'm like, is this a sin? And then me going and doing like the psychic mediumship stuff. I'm like, oh my God. So I totally get it where part of you is like ready to run and explore and just take what it is that feels intuitively good and just go with it. And then there's the other part that still holds us back because of what was ingrained in us. So how long did it take for you to finally break free of that? I had done therapy for other reasons, but one of the things that was always off limits was the religion. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, I don't talk about God and I don't talk about that. That's all done. I'm done. Like, I'm good. I'm good. It whittled away at different points. Yeah. But there came a really big point where I realized my life, this was 
right after my dad passed, I was approaching 40. Death suddenly became very apparent because he had passed. What am I doing with my life? I had built a great career, had the car, travel, partner, money in the bank. I had achieved and I didn't feel real connected to it. It was like, okay, now what? And a little lost. But one of the big things that my partner had said at the time, and he had been on his spiritual journey for a long time. In fact, it was always really funny. I remember one of the first times I went over to his house and he was like, just come in. I'm going to be finishing up a session with my energy worker. I was living in California. And I'm like, oh, typical Californian. He had all these <laughs> stones on his chakras and yep. stuff. I'm like, okay. Sounds about right. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm in California. I could totally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I miss it. But I was just like, mm, okay. And he was like, I think you need to address that. And I was like, I'm good. He's like, when you're at work, you're so on. And when I see you in your personal life and with me, it is complete opposite. And at first I was like, well, that's you. Your crystals are knocked off. Like there's something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I was just really scared to open the door. I mean, that's being very honest. I was scared because I thought if I open that door, what if all those beliefs, because I think I still held this thing of like, well, maybe I could go back or maybe I'm a really good person. Jehovah will save me, you know, like I, I can make it. I think that that was kind of running there. And I decided to see a cult recovery therapist, even for me to reach out to her. It was this thing I could not not do. It was like this force was pushing me to do this. And within two sessions, Laura, when she explained in detail, Jehovah's Witnesses, what they do, how that programmed my brain and the way that I was looking at life and she could explain it and the neuroscience of it. I'm one of those like, man, I want to figure things out because I think a lot of people think we're adults. We're currently running off of our very conscious self. Well, no, you're running off your five-year-old self for the most part, all these programs and beliefs. That just made sense. And I started really digging in. I had dealt in a lot of personal development stuff that was around leadership, very task oriented type stuff. And that opened up something. I just broke down crying because it was like this relief of understanding that it wasn't me. It wasn't God. It was the structure of that religion and what they do that had created all of these things that were manifesting in my life. He wanted me to go to his spiritual woman. And I was like, I can't do that, but I'll find my own. And I found an Ayurvedic guy and I had done some meditation and stuff, but he led me on this meditation and he was like the first time I tuned back into my inner child and I saw myself as this young boy and I felt it. It wasn't just seen. It was like, I felt him. And as he walked me through some other stuff, I just got more and more curious about what it was because I had always believed that this place was so magical and beautiful. This planet is just incredible. And I think humans are incredible. So I'd always been curious, but this opened up that door then again to explore what spirituality would maybe look like for me. And one thing I was pretty adamant, it was like, I'm never going to go to church again. And even the non-denominational, they're like, it's non-denominational. <laughs> it's not really like what you think. And I was like, nope. 
I don't walk in through doors. <laughs> Nowadays, I'm a little bit more flexible, but yeah. yeah, but that was probably the big thing. And then after that, I met up with a bunch of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses because I had never done that. And what I saw that they were going through and that so many of them were stuck and feeling the same thing, I was like, I cannot live that way. I will not live that way. I'm not going to live in a void it felt like a lot of them were just like living in a void, just trying to make it by, not in this world, not in that world. And so I just continued to dive in. And then as things happen, books and teachers and different things kept showing up at perfect timing. And I was reading and I'm like, oh, and then this. And then because I'm ever curious anyways, then I was just like, give me, feed me. What's next? I want to know. I want to (laughs) understand. That's what happens. So a few things there. I also have a therapist and I think that therapy is fantastic. We see a doctor for our physical health. Mm -hmm. We need to also nurture our mental health and emotional health as well. And it sounds like you got validation for what it is that you were feeling and felt like you were feeling alone. And Mm -hmm. so to have somebody stranger, essentially, validate what it is that you're going through. I mean, I can only imagine just the weight that was lifted off your shoulders, the relief that that gave. And then to then with those eyes, see those others who were in the same space that you were. And it's interesting how as soon as you let that wall down, like you tackled that, then everything came in all the books and the hunger for more information seem to all then flood in at that time. So timing is definitely everything as well. I'm curious, the therapist that you saw, the one who specialized in cult therapy, Mm -hmm. did they get a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witness clients? Yeah, she did. And she dealt with other smaller cult type stuff too. The Scientologist and Jehovah's Witnesses were some that she probably saw the most. She said, actually, both of those tend to have a lot of the same type of traumas. And her own story was that her and her husband had found themselves into a cult, but it took her a long time to come out. And then she started really studying therapy and going through that stuff. That was how I found her was another next Joe's witness who had found her. Like referred her to you. Yeah, referred. And it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I, the funny thing is, I, I mean, this is how it works, right? But in my life now, I run into a lot of ex Jehovah's Witnesses. But the ones I do, they've been on their spiritual journey. But even most recently, a couple of my really close friends... And they've done everything. They do psychedelic journeys and ayahuasca and they've done Taoism and they've just into all of it. (laughs) But two of them came to me one time and they were like, do you think I should really see somebody about the Jehovah's Witness thing? And I was like, well, if you're asking, I think that that's your guidance Mm. because it really does impact way more. So, yeah, it was a huge relief. And I feel for any ex-Jove's witness because we have this culturally still in the United States where therapy is like, oh, it's becoming more acceptable. But especially with them, I think a lot of struggle to what happens if I open it up. And I, and I understand that it could be scary from that outside the door idea of what's going to happen in there. But when you start to realize that you can release this stuff and start to understand. I'm sure for you too, it's like that relief. You feel it in your body when it's like, 
that energy moves. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I get the same <laughs> euphoric high. And I know for many people, therapy is also could be really hard too, but there is a sense of relief that I myself get after speaking with my therapist. That's almost similar to a really good psychic mediumship reading that you leave and you're like, wow, I feel like I got a lot out of that. So I love combining the two. The East meets the West. I love combining the therapy that may be a bit more secular with spiritual practice as well. I think that they really can complement each other very well and they both work. So I like that you offer that you don't I want here. I want to rephrase that from how you explained it, but you're open to sharing with your friends who are ready to explore that path of therapy on top of the spiritual work that they do as well. Cause I think that there is benefits to having both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Paul, to help wrap up this fascinating interview, I was wondering, now that we've talked about your present and a bit of your past, what advice would the Paul of today give the Paul from his past? I've been thinking about that a lot because I'm like, if I had the actual opportunity and I could go back and give him some advice, would I? Because I am who I am today because of everything that I've experienced. So I'm not sure I would. However, if there was anything, I would just be like, listen to yourself. Listen to yourself. Just listen. Experience all sorts of things, but just listen to yourself. I wouldn't even say you're worthy of anything. Just listen to yourself. I love that. <laughs> More value in that, right? Because they might not even listen to you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I love yeah. it listen to yourself. That's fantastic advice. Well, Paul, I really want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story and the journey that you've been on so far. Really appreciate you for your vulnerability and for your time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great getting to chat with you and learning a little bit more. And that was another episode of a Guided Life podcast. To connect with me via my socials or for links to my book titled Guided or my card deck called From Your Spirit Guides, please visit my Linktree site at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash guided west. Thanks so much for tuning in and until next time, love and light always. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Mediumship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.